0: The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Amen. One day you'll be watching The Voice and uh, you'll hear of Sarah Catherine Corum and you'll say, I know that little girl. I heard her sing her first solo in church. That was great. Thank you, Sarah Catherine and David. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be preaching a message today that is of utmost importance, not because I'm preaching it, but it's of utmost importance because of what the message is. The greatest sermon ever preached is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It was the greatest sermon ever preached because it was preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. It deals with the greatest topic that mankind can ever face, the topic of where will I spend eternity and it tells us how we are to live in his kingdom. In fact, if you want to know how to live in the kingdom of God, just take some time and start with Matthew 5, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you'll see how this is a sermon laid out to tell us how to live in God's kingdom. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing as we show our respect for God's word, reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. This is the word of the living God. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? Or the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, as we think about kingdom living, Uh, Kingdom living is a lifestyle, that's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is, is not just something we do on Sunday. The Christian life is something we do seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year. Every moment of every day we need to be conscious, once we have been born again, that we are living in the Kingdom of God. And the message I'm going to preach today is important because this is the message Jesus preached on the Mount of the Beatitudes. I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed when we went back to Israel this year, the last time we were on the Mount of the Beatitudes, they had not fenced in uh, the church that's built there. There's a beautiful church that's built on that site, it's a Roman Catholic Church, it's beautiful. Uh, but they fenced in the outside, and, and when they fenced in the outside, the part where Jesus probably preached this sermon was cut off, you have to go outside the gate to go there. You can see it from inside the gate, but it is a natural amphitheater. In fact, if you look over to the far right, you'll see a trail coming up from the Sea of Galilee, where people have been walking up that trail for thousands of years. Even before Jesus was there, people were using that trail. And that makes a natural amphitheater where someone could preach or speak to a crowd of thousands and really not have to raise his voice much more than a normal tone of speech. And it was in such a place like that, it was in that very place, in fact, that Jesus sat down and began to teach his disciples the principles of kingdom living. And it's the most important thing you'll ever study. It's the most important thing that you'll ever be a part of. The kingdom of God. And that's the first part of the message today. Be a part of the kingdom. Jesus, as he was heading toward the invitation, and by the way, when Jesus preached this sermon, he gave an invitation. The invitation is three examples. He said, there are two roads in life. He said, there are two kinds of religious leaders, and there are two kinds of foundations that you build on houses upon. And as he does that, he goes into the invitation. But before he gets to the invitation, he says these words, but seek first the kingdom of God and his Righteousness. And it's so very simple, and yet it's so simple that a child can do it, and yet it's so profound that even the wisest man cannot understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. They have to be accepted by faith. Now, how do you get into the kingdom? Well, you've heard this before. Uh, You've heard it if you came to Bible school. You've heard it if you came to a block party. You've heard it uh, whenever we do an evangelistic event. We tell people, first of all, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you have to be willing to admit that you're a sinner. Now, a lot of people don't like to think about sin today. A lot of people think that if you preach against sin, uh, you're trying to put them on a guilt trip. Well, do you realize that unless you realize you're guilty of sin, you can never be saved? Now, there are some organizations in Pelham that if I wanted to join, and I I went and I said, I'd I'd like to join this organization. You know what they would say? They would say, well, tell us what you've done. And I would try to tell them all the good things I've done. I would tell them about my education. I would tell them about my background. I I would tell them about being pastor of this church for 35 years. I would tell them all those things uh, because they only want members who admit they're good. But I want to tell you, to get into the kingdom of God, you have to admit that you're bad. Uh, When I was 16 years of age, I'll celebrate my 50th birthday as a Christian this July. And my salvation experience was transforming. I knew I was lost. I knew I was not saved. I was a lost church member. And I definitely remember that night in a cornfield in Walker County on a youth retreat, when I gave my life to Jesus. And the first thing I realized was I could not save myself. I was a sinner in need of grace. Admit you're a sinner. Unless you're willing to admit you're a sinner, you can never be saved. And here's the next thing is, is an important part that a lot of people leave out these days. Admit that you're a sinner, but then repent, turn from your sin. If you read the Bible, starting in the Old Testament, going all the way to the book of Revelation, God's favorite message to mankind after the fall is repent. Repent. Now, the word repent means more than just admit I've done wrong. The word repent means not only have I done wrong, I'm still doing wrong, but I don't want to do it anymore, and I'm heading in the wrong direction, and because I admit I'm a sinner and I know I'm going to be going in the wrong direction as a sinner, I need to repent. Now, the word repent simply means to turn. It means to turn and I turn my back on sin. Now let me say this. If you're not willing to admit you're a sinner, you can't repent. There are a lot of people in the world today who say, I want to go to heaven. I, I, I want, when I die, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want God to mess with my life down here on earth. I want to tell you this. Unless God is Lord of your life here on earth, you won't ever get to heaven. You need to understand that. You say, you Baptist preachers, you're always preaching about salvation. Do you know why? You read this sermon and you'll know why. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And there are some of those people in this room today. You say, how do you know that? Well, Jesus said, many people. I want you to know this. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I love you. But don't just think you can live your life the way you want to. You can never admit your sinner and repent of your sin and just ask, well, Jesus, just forgive my sin. I want to tell you, when you admit you're a sinner, the next step is repentance. And without repentance, you can't be saved. And not acknowledging your sin doesn't change anything. It's when you repent, you turn from your sin. You say, preacher, you're coming down pretty hard this morning. I don't want you to misunderstand this. I don't want you to stand before the great white throne one day and say, well, I heard old brother Mike preach. He didn't say anything about repentance. Oh, yes, he did. He hammered it. Because when you're saved, things change. Things change. Now, my wife was saved as a child. Obviously, her life was not as drastically changed as my life was. And if I had kept living and continued to sin the way I was sinning, my life would have been an even greater change. But salvation brings about a change. Admit you're a sinner, repent, turn from your sin, and then do this, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord, Savior, and King. You See, that's the secret to kingdom living. We know Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says God made Jesus Lord. Every now and then somebody will come and they'll say, Brother Mike, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. And I don't do this. I, I, uh, Adrian Rogers did it one time. Uh, somebody came and said, Dr. Rogers, I want to make Jesus Lord. And Adrian Rogers said, You can't do that. God's already done that. The Bible says he, God made him to be both Lord and Christ. So God's already made him Lord. But when we confess him, the word confess is a beautiful word in Greek. One of the things I loved about going to seminary and studying Greek and Hebrew. I I really love Greek. Hebrew not so much. Uh, Hebrew was tough. Uh, If if you're a Hebrew scholar, I'll take my hat off to you. Uh, But I did study Hebrew. I didn't study enough to be a scholar. I I learned just enough uh, to let me read the commentaries that have Hebrew words in them. But I love the Greek language. The Greek language is, is so much richer and fuller than English. And the word confess in Greek is made up of two words. It's the word homo, which means the same as and lego, L-E-G-O, and homo lego means to say the same thing. In other words, when you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord, Savior, and King, you are saying the same thing about Jesus that God said about Jesus because God made him to be both Lord and Christ, and his name is Jesus, which means Savior. When I was a young preacher, there was a movement going on, and I'm glad it really didn't get off the ground because it was wrong, people were saying, well, what you need to do today is accept Jesus as your Savior and then later on make him your Lord. You see, you could have salvation and not lordship. There's only one problem with that. That's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I tell you to do? There has to be surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. You know, I love to study the history of our country. In the early days after the Revolutionary War, when they were meeting and drawing up the Constitution, somebody thought it would be good to let George Washington be king. They said, well, you know, old King George over in England, he wouldn't deal with us, but George Washington, he's one of us. Why don't we make him king? And that idea was shot down. And you know why it was shot down? Because do you remember why people came to America in the first place? They didn't come over here to get rich. They came over here to worship God. That's why they came. Now, listen, I I doubt seriously you'll find that in any history books today. They're all so politically correct. But these people said, let's make George Washington our king. And there was an outcry, no, no, America will never have any king but Jesus. Now, you won't hear that in many classrooms today. But that's the way it was. You see, people came to America not to make money. They came to America to spread the gospel. They came to America. The earliest settlers came to America to go out and talk to the Native Americans and tell them about Jesus. There was a man named David Brainerd. They just observed, I think, the 225th anniversary of his conversion. And David Brainerd was a scholar. He studied, he graduated, and he went out to preach to the Indians. And they said that while he was praying, he would kneel in the snow and pray, and he had what they called consumption then. It probably was tuberculosis as we know it today. But when he got up off the ground, his knees would leave bloody knee prints in the snow because he'd been praying in the snow for so long. And he would cough up blood because he was so sick. And he died as a young man. You know why he died? because he wanted to take the message of Christ to Native Americans. He wanted them to hear the gospel. He knew that only if you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord, Savior, and King, do you have the right relationship that causes you to be a kingdom person. But then the fourth thing is to identify with Christ through baptism and discipleship. And let me say, don't do one and and not do the other. Do both of them. Uh, Some of you here today may have never been baptized. One of the joys of my ministry has been to baptize people. I baptize some unique people. When I was pastor of the Munford Baptist Church up in Munford, Alabama, uh, in one year, uh, the town drunk got saved. And uh, he came to know Christ. Uh, I never will forget, he came, Tom, about where you're sitting there, he didn't know you weren't supposed to sit in the front. You know, he'd never been to church. He didn't know that the, nobody wanted to sit in the front seats. You have to come early to get the back seats in most churches. But he came in and he had the biggest Bible I've ever seen. He had one of these family Bibles. And he came in and somebody started giving him a hard time. And I said, wait a minute, where's your Bible? He didn't have one. I said, I'd rather him have this big Bible. Maybe you can look on his Bible since you didn't bring yours. I was a young, bold preacher in those days. I don't know what happened to him. But uh, uh, I might still do that from time to time if you don't watch out. But uh, he came in, sat down there. He made his public profession of faith. And I want to tell you, the day we baptized the town drunk, the sanctuary was full. You know why? People heard the town drunk had been saying. And you know what? He never got drunk again. He got active in the church, joined a Sunday school class, came every Sunday. Now, he didn't live a long life because drinking had taken its toll on his liver. But God changed his life. When he was baptized, the church had a man who only had one leg. He had lost a leg in an industrial accident. And we had steep steps coming down in the baptistry at Munford. And Brian, I had a deacon. And I told the deacon, I said, Now, deacon, I need you to help him down into the baptistry. And he said, Okay. And I said, I'm going to tell you this now. He's going to tell you he doesn't need help because he's really independent. But I said, it's slippery on those steps. You come down the steps with him. He said, OK, I said, now listen. Don't listen to what he says. You, you come down with him. And so I was standing down there waiting for him to come down the steps. And I smiled and held my hand out. And the deacon started to get in, in the steps with him. He turned to the deacon and said, I can do it by myself. You know what the deacon said? OK. <laughs> and backed up. And when he did, guess what happened? His one foot slipped out from under him and he bounced down the steps. Now I caught him like this, or I wouldn't have had to put him under the second time because he he'd have gone under on his own. But I caught him, within five seconds, all of his family was up at the, in the choir loft looking at the Baptist to make sure he was. I said, he's okay, he's okay. But you know what? That man was younger than I am now. He was 62 years old. You know why the church was filled when he was baptized? Because there'd been a change in his life. You see, he identified with the church, the Baptist. Now, some people even say, I don't even need the church anymore. I don't know how you can claim to love Jesus and not love the church. I really don't. Now, I don't like everything the church does. Sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes I don't even like the things that the pastor does, and I know him real well. Sometimes the pastor's wife doesn't like the things the pastor does, and she tells them about it. But I want to tell you this, there is a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. That's the church of the living God. I don't agree with everything that's going on in church. I had the opportunity the other day, there's a man who was hurting, a minister who's hurting, and I was able to, to put my arm around him and love on him a little bit. He's had a rough experience. And he said, I think I'm going to give up on the church. I said, Don't do that. I said, You know who's saying saying that to you? You know who's telling you to give up on the church? It's the devil. I guarantee you Jesus doesn't say give up on the church. Because the Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Be part of the kingdom. Admit you're a sinner. Repent, turn from your sin. Confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord, Savior, and King, and identify with Christ through baptism and discipleship. Now when do you think you're going to know it all? When you get to heaven, yeah, when you get to heaven. Brother Charles came by a few minutes ago and said, Brother Mike, when you retire, uh, are you going to be in Sunday school? I said, Brother Charles, uh, I've already told Brother Bill Dillahunty, look for me in Sunday school. I said, there's some rounders in that class. I'm going to come in there and straighten them out. I'm not going to call their name, but they know who they are. And I I said, you can tell them a new sheriff's coming to town. Now, somebody told me Bill thought maybe the new sheriff might need to be rounded up himself. I don't know about that. We'll have to see. But I'm planning on, if I'm not preaching somewhere, I'm going to be in Sunday school in church uh, every Sunday. If I'm preaching somewhere, I'll be in, I'll be in church there. Uh, but I'm going to be in church in Sunday school somewhere because I love the church. I would not ever give up on the church. Why? Because Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Don't give up on the church. You say, well, people are turning away from the church. Well, guess what? They can turn right back and come on in. Because the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ built on that rock. And discipleship is where we learn to be more. In fact, you couldn't do better than by going home today and starting in Matthew 5 and read this very carefully and prayerfully and see what kind of disciple you are. Because you see, if you you read the Beatitudes, it tells you how to become a disciple. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? Blessed are people who are spiritually poor because God can make them spiritually rich through their property. You see, if you don't realize you're spiritually poor, you're self-righteous. But when you see righteousness as it truly is, you realize I'm a sinner. I need to be saved by grace. Become a dec- and by the way, I learned something this morning. I got up this morning and turned on my television and watched David Jeremiah, and he's been preaching a series of messages on heaven, and I thought I knew pretty much all about heaven. Uh, I know we can't really ever understand all about it, but but, uh, David Jeremiah has been preaching some wonderful messages on heaven, and he talked about what heaven will do for us now. And I loved his message. I never thought of it. He said he just received it from the Lord. Boy, i was glad he shared it with me so I can share it with you. He said, when you think about heaven, We don't think about the the sweet by-and-by. We think about how we're living in the nasty now and now. Because if we believe in heaven, we ought to be living pure lives. Now, if you're a disciple, you're not living a pure life. You need to listen to that. So be part of the kingdom. Then secondly, bring others to the kingdom. At the end of Matthew, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, there's two things involved in bringing others to the kingdom. First of all, share the truth, share the scriptures. We drove in last night to Pelham. And after we drove in and unpacked, I realized I had to, to go make a trip. I needed to fill Mary's car up with gas. I didn't want her to get up on Monday morning and not have gas in her car so I drove down to fill her car up with gas. And As I was coming back to Cedar Cove from filling up her car with gas, I, I saw two bicycles riding with these little blinker lights on. And I thought, man, it's almost pure dark. And they're riding with the flow of traffic. That's really dangerous. You know, as I passed them by, you know who it was? It was two Mormon missionaries. You know what they were out doing? They were out there trying to find Baptists who don't, who don't know their Bible. That's what they're trying to do. Because you see, they'll tell you, oh, we believe the Bible is the word of God. But we also believe that the book of Mormon supersedes the Bible. And then if they're honest, they'll tell you this. And the leader of the church out there in Utah, if he changes it, we go with what he says. Because that's a newer revelation. I want to tell you, when God closed the book on Revelation 22, he said, that's it. That's the word of God. You need to know the truth of the word. And stand on that truth. Thank God we have Sunday school. Thank God we have vacation Bible school. Thank God we have discipleship. That's where you share the truth. And by the way, let me say this. I know some of you may think, well, I've heard that the church mission trip, the church-wide mission trip this year is not going anywhere. Oh, yeah, they are. They're going a lot of places, aren't they, Don? They're just going to go places close to here. And somebody say, well, I don't want to go on a mission trip if I have to come and stay in the annex and we don't get to go... uh, ride a ride at Six Flags or something. I'm just not going to go. Listen, if you won't go across the street to share the gospel, don't even think about going around the world. Why in the world would we endorse you to go overseas on a mission trip or even go to a, another state in the Union if you're not willing to help people right here? At home? Do you realize that people who die without Jesus Christ in Shelby County, Alabama, go to the same hell as Muslims who die without Jesus Christ? Beloved, the light That shines farthest, shines brightest at home. You say, well, you won't even be pastor then. No, I won't, but I'm pastor now. And you're going to hear me say this. If you're not willing to go across the street, for God's sake, don't think we ought to send you around the world. That's pretty hard, preacher. I told you that old preacher's in here somewhere. He's going to come out one of these days. I had an uncle that was real bold, preacher. He was pastor at Cook Springs Baptist Church, and he walked in one Sunday. He'd gone over to the pastorium to get something out of the study. He walked back in, and Sunday school had already been started about 15 minutes. And this lady was walking in, and she said, oh, Brother Glyde, well, uh, I'm sorry. I'm late. I've got to go in and teach my lesson. My old, bold Uncle Bud said, you've already taught him a lesson. And she said, no, you don't understand. I've just gotten here. He said, oh, I understand. He said, you've already taught him. You don't care enough about him to get here on time. He said, did you ever say that? No, my bold uncle did. I learned from him not to say that. I think that woman's name was Jezebel. I think he later on regretted saying that to Jez. But then share your testimony. Talk about how God has changed your life. Young people, has God really changed your life? Has God really changed? Are you a different person than you were? before you trusted Jesus Christ and you confessed him as Savior? Are you a different person? Here's a good test. Number one, when you do wrong, are you convicted about it? When you do wrong, are you convicted about it? When you do something you're not supposed to do, do you feel convicted about it? If you don't, that's a pretty good sign you're not saved. And by the way, does God let you get by with doing wrong? Because the book of Hebrews says, God chastens his children He said, if God, you do wrong as a Christian, you don't get chastened, you're illegitimate. You're not one of God's children. And let me remind you, Jesus said, many, many will say to me in that day, share your... By the way, you're an expert on yourself. Nobody knows you better than you except God. And some of you have testimonies that God can... Some of you have had dealings with alcohol, drugs. Some of you have had other dealings that that aren't things you... Necessarily want to talk about publicly but guess what God will give you a testimony and here's the good thing Jim I want you to hear me say this you know I love you and I love Sandy but I want to tell you what God will take and use more than anything else is a broken heart you see so many times we stand up we're full of pride and we think we've done everything we know to do and, and we're proud of ourselves and God says I can't use you you're just as proud as the devil But when we're broken and we're hurting, God loves us. And God says, I'll take that broken heart, and I'll use it to bless somebody else. If you're broken, and God allowed you to be broken as his child, it was for a reason. Be a part of the kingdom. Bring others to the kingdom. And lastly, very quickly, live in kingdom blessings. If you want to live in kingdom blessings, just a few simple steps to to, to go by. Uh, And by the way, look what Bill Stafford said up there at the top. Until there is a victory in the financial area, churches will continue to be limited in their outreach. You see, everything we do as a church depends on your stewardship. Missions, education, discipleship, even the building we sit in. Depends on your stewardship. Here's some steps to being a good steward. First of all, just acknowledge that God owns everything. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. You don't need your money to give your money to the church because God's broke. You need to give your money to the church because God told you to. God said bring the tithe to the storehouse. God owns everything. And then secondly, if, if God owns everything, God controls my life. You are not your own for you are bought at a price. God controls my life. I was telling Brother Charles Yates a few minutes ago and I told the folks at Centerpoint when I preached there a couple of weeks ago on their 100th anniversary, this is the first time in my ministry that I can remember when after the last Sunday in May, I don't have a speaking engagement. I mean, even when I was a young preacher boy, sometimes people would call me and we'd schedule revivals months in advance and when I've been a pastor, we've had to do that. And yet, when I completed my assignment at Centerpoint for their 100th anniversary, I looked at my calendar, and every Sunday I'm going to be preaching here. And I did that on purpose. I didn't want to leave the pulpit the last few months I was pastor. I did make that one exception for their 100th anniversary. You say, well, preacher, what are you saying? You know, God's just testing me. I know I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm doing what God wants this church to do. The pastor search committee looking for a pastor. There's no time frame on that. Ryan has talked to the deacons. They've got plans. Don't worry about somebody being in the pulpit. And I'm not worried about where I'm going to preach. You know why? Because God controls my life. He controls my life. I'll live as long as he wants me to live. I'll preach as long as he opens doors for me to preach. And I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to put a billboard up on Highway 31. Old retired preacher needs a place to preach. God will open doors for the old retired, if he wants him to. And I told Brother Charles, if God doesn't do that, I'll be glad to work and teach Sunday school. Why? Because God controls my life. God promises to meet our needs. Notice Paul said, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You say, well, he's not supplying all my needs. Well, you might want to check and see if he's supplying your needs, but you've already spent what you should have spent on your needs, on your wants. You see, not only do you need to give 10% to the Lord's work, you need to pray about how to spend the other 90%. I hope you're doing that. If you do that, then God promises to me, I don't know what the future's going to hold for us. I know probably next year I'll make a whole lot less money than I have made in years and years and years. I'm not worried about that because I remember the day in New Orleans, Louisiana when I was called to be a pastor and got paid $75 a week and tied $10 on it. You say, that's more than a tithe. I don't want to be stingy with God because God's not going to be stingy with me if I'm not stingy with Him. God promises to meet our needs. God expects us to give. You have received free of charge, give free of charge. Jesus to the disciples as he sends them out to minister, Matthew 10, 10. And Paul quotes Jesus in a quote that's not found in any of the Gospels, but obviously it was from the Lord Jesus because it's in the book of Acts. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You read the book of Acts and you've got a red letter edition. If that passage right there, Acts 20, 35, if those words aren't in red, you go back and get your money back. Those are the words of Jesus. That's what Paul said and then God blesses us in proportion to the way we give. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. If you want to make a crop, you need to sow more than one seed. I love Psalm 126 that says this, He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know what the seed is? The seed is the word of God. And the seed is our financial contribution to God's kingdom. And if we want to reap bountifully, we have to sow bountifully. And then the last thing, God will bless your family for your faithfulness. David said, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging bread. I am a third generation receiver of the blessing. My grandmother, my dad's mother, never went to school. Got married when she was 14. Became a mom when she was 15. Her husband worked in coal mines, had a farm. And if I'm totally honest, he made whiskey on the side. Are you proud of that? No, I'm just being honest. That's what my father and my father knew. it. That's what his daddy did to make money, made whiskey. But my grandmother learned that she, didn't, she couldn't depend on her husband, but she could depend on God. And she started faithfully giving 10% of her income. Not only did she give 10% of her income, she'd give special offerings. And not only that... When people came to her farm, if they were hungry, they got fed. And you know what? God blessed her. And guess what? It spilled over on my daddy. And my daddy took it to a new level. And what he did has spilled over on me. And what I'm doing now is going to spill over on Jake and Scotty and on my grandchildren. You say, why is that? Because God owns it all. If you want to bless your children, you be a good steward if you want to make sure your children always have what they need in life, then you learn to live according to the rules of the kingdom. You're always going to reap more than you sow. You're always going to reap later than you sow, but you are going to reap in proportion to what you sow. Now, are you a kingdom person? Are you inviting others to become kingdom people? Listen, some of you are going to leave here today, and you're going to come across somebody who needs to know Jesus. Everything you need to know to tell them how to be a kingdom person has been said in this message today. Are you going to share that message? Young people, you share it with your friends at school. Do you want your friends to spend eternity in hell? If you don't share the truth of the kingdom, they likely will. Jesus said it this way. There are two roads in life. One road leads to destruction. It's broad and wide and it's easy to walk in. The other road is narrow and straight And it's hard to get in, but it leads to life. Jesus said there are two kind of religious leaders. There are those who produce fruit and those who are false, who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. And then the third thing he said is there's two kind of foundations you build a house on. You build a house on sand and the storms will come and the winds will blow and the house on sand collapses. But you build your house, you build your spiritual house on God's kingdom. And the storms are going to come, the rain's going to fall, the wind's going to blow, but the house will stand because it's built on a rock. Are you a kingdom person today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for these words of Jesus which make it so crystal clear that the most important thing that we do on earth is serve in your kingdom. Lord, everything else we do is secondary to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And, Father, if there's somebody here today that's not saved, if there's somebody here today that may have joined the church but their life's never been changed, if there's somebody here today, Lord, that's never been baptized, or maybe they were baptized before they were saved and they need to get their baptism in the right order, and, Father, there may be people here who need to join the church today and identify with Christ's church. There may be people here today, Lord, that want to come to the altar and get right, And Lord, I pray that what truth has been proclaimed now would be imparted by the Holy Spirit, that lives would be changed and homes would be blessed and people would be saved and Christians would be strengthened and encouraged. And most of all, that you would receive the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.